My name is Pastor Jeremy. I serve as one of the pastors here on staff. And our vision is we want to invite people to Jesus and call believers to live out the gospel. We talk about this inviting in and living out. Invite in, live out. And this week I was encouraged by how God is moving in our very midst. This week I was talking to one of our partners and he was telling me about inviting some people from his work to Center Church. And as she was thinking about coming to Center Church, she reached out on a mom's group on Facebook. And that same uh, woman got in contact with one of our ladies at Center Church. And so she said, you should totally come to Center Church. And she did. She's been here the last couple of Sundays. And that's encouraging because I'm like, our people are getting it, Lord. They are inviting people to you. They are inviting people to come and hear the good news of Jesus right here at Center Church. But also, what's exciting is that you are also going after them. This lady, right, she, she hears from one of our members about Center Church. And then within a few moments later on, on Facebook, she hears from another one of our partners at, member, at Center Church. And God's like, I'm going to get you here regardless. And I think if she wouldn't have come, some of you would have still been able to talk to her. And, and so I'm excited and encouraged about how we here at Center Church are living out the gospel by inviting people to Jesus. So be encouraged by that this morning. If you have your Bible, and I hope and pray that you do, please meet me in Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 12. As you make your way there, uh, this week I went to a conference. I went to a discipleship conference on Monday, and I sat under the teaching of a man by the name Jonathan Dotson. Now, I don't know if you know who Jonathan Dotson is, uh, but Jonathan Dotson, he started this uh, group called the Gospel Center Discipleship. In fact, Jonathan Dotson wrote the book on discipleship. His book is titled Gospel Centered Discipleship. And in our, in our teaching, he brought up this concept that he coined flat authority. Basically, what this concept means is that we believe in our culture today that authority is level, it's flat across the board. And we see that in our culture, don't we? You probably see that in your schools, you see that in government, uh, you see that in the places that you work. And sadly, we see that in the church today. The idea simply says something like this, who are you? To tell me what I can and can't do. And let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. That is completely against the gospel. In fact, Jesus, before he ascends into heaven, he says, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And then in that authority, he commands his followers, Go make disciples of all the nations by baptizing and teaching. And so we as a Christian church, we should, we should relish in and understand the beauty of God-given authority in our lives, from Him to us, the authority of God's Word over us, but also how we submit to one another in the church. In other words, the idea here is that we need to come together as a group of brothers and sisters, understanding that I want to submit myself to you and you want to submit yourself to me so that we have the best interest in each other's minds so that we can grow in holiness. In fact, that is the title of my sermon today, The Pursuit of Holiness. And yes, I got that from a movie quote or a movie title. So before I dump, dive into what, how the community, how God's people work towards each other's holiness, I, I wanted to ask the question, what is holiness? What do, I, what do I mean when I use the word holy? Well, first, in order to understand that, we have to look at the one who is supremely holy, and his name is God. 
God is holy. It's one of his attributes that we see throughout scripture that in God there is no evilness. In God there is no sin. God is fully holy. He is fully good. And everything that comes out of him is good. And we see this specifically in the embodiment of Jesus. Jesus, Jesus walked the life we couldn't walk because he had no sin. Jesus was holy. First Peter chapter 2 verse 22. It says that Jesus walked this earth without sin. Now this is Mother's Day. So imagine that for a moment. Imagine a child in your home that had no sin. It's hard to do, isn't it? Because it's impossible because all of our children have sin. I, again, I've said this joke a few times before. But could you imagine being one of Jesus' half-brothers? Like Mary's like, can you just be more like Jesus? No, I can't. Because he is the son of God. He is holy. He has no sin. And we see this specifically throughout his earthly life in ministry. Jesus' holiness, his lack of sinfulness, allowed him to be fully obedient to, to God the Father. So obedient that Jesus went to a cross for our sins. We see complete surrender in the holiness of Jesus and that he surrendered his life. To God the Father. And God the Father, he's even prayed in the garden. If you can make this cup pass, but not my will be done, your will be done. And where did God's will lead Jesus? To the cross. But the story doesn't end there. Because not only did he go to the tomb, Jesus also ascended from that tomb. To prove to us that he has defeated our sin and our death. So the reality is when we look at holiness and we want to understand what holiness is, we look at Christ who was without sin, who was completely obedient to his father and who was fully surrendered to the will of his father. Now, here's the problem, though. The problem is, is that when we see the holiness of Jesus, we begin to look at our lives, I pray, and examine ourselves and go, hmm, we we actually fall short. We are not as holy as we think we are. We are not as good as we believe or sing about Luke Bryan. Not this Luke Bryan, but Luke Bryan, this country singer. (laughs) Talking to you today, Luke. I'm just kidding. We understand that when we look at Jesus, we realize we fall incredibly short. We are extremely disobedient. We rebel and do what we want. We are surrendered more to ourself than we are to Jesus. In fact, when we begin to think about the holiness of God and we see the lack of our holiness, we ask the question, how can we become holy in light of the hole in our holiness? The good news is that Jesus has also provided an answer to that question. Hebrews 12, 2 says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So what can be done about the hole in our holiness? Jesus did it. And this is how he did it. Jesus took our place. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you and I were supposed to live, but can't because of our sin. Moms, did you have to teach your children how to lie? Did you have to teach your children how to dishonor you? They figured it out all by themselves. And let me tell you, they got pretty good at it, didn't they? Jesus came to live that life that we couldn't live because of our sinfulness. But he also came to die a death that we deserved. 
Jesus took our sin on the cross. He took our place. God poured out his wrath on the sinless son for the sins of the world. You and me. And he rose again on the third day. To prove that he had defeated our sin and our death. And here's what God wants to do this morning. God wants to adopt you into his family. And the way that he does this is you have to believe. You turn from your sin. You put your trust and faith in Jesus. The one who did the work for you. And let me tell you something. No matter what you came in here with. No matter the brokenness that you walked in here with. Jesus can forgive it. Mend it. Heal it. And help you be changed and transformed by his power. It's the beauty of the gospel. One of the ways to think about this is this. When God looks at you, he sees the sinfulness in you. That's why he has rightly, in his holiness and justice, separated himself from you. But by his love and grace, he sent Jesus to bridge the gap between us and him. And so when we put our faith in Jesus, God takes the holiness of Jesus and he puts it on you. So when God looks at you, he no longer sees your sin. He sees you being covered by his son, Jesus Christ. And he brings you into relationship with him. But here's where the problem is. The problem is, is that we don't understand as Christians, I think, that not only has God given us his holiness, but now as we've received the holiness in Jesus, now he calls us to a life of holiness. He calls us to become like his son. And so what he is going to do and what we're going to see the author show us in verses 12 through 17 is that God wants to make you holy as he is holy. And one of the ways he's going to do this is through the church. Look what I mean. Read with me along in verse 12 through 17. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral and holy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you knew, you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. I'm going to show you here in just a moment how we as a church encourage and exhort one another to become more conformed into the image of Jesus. But I also want you to be reminded of what we learned about last week, that God disciplines those he loves. So I want to ask us why, how we should wrestle with this idea of discipline and holiness. What does God's discipline have to do with the Christian life? So as we experience pain and suffering and like the people in this text, persecution, what is God doing to the people, to his people who he has called out by his grace and mercy through Jesus. So how is God using our pain? How is God using our suffering? How is God using even persecution to make us more like himself? Here, here's what you have to understand, though. I don't believe that the text is teaching that God is punishing us for our sinfulness again. Because if that was the case, if God was going to punish you and I for our sin again, like I'm going to discipline you, then that means that actually, I think, detracts from and takes away from the beauty of the gospel. Because on the cross, your sin and my sin was paid in full. We just sang about it. 
The punishment of God was fully taken in by Jesus for our sinfulness. So I don't believe this is punishment. Discipline is not a form of punishment. But instead, instead of it being punitive, I believe that discipline is redemptive. Let me give you, let me, let me help you understand what I mean by that. God might use pain in your life, suffering, persecution, as a means of discipline for this purpose. Look back if you have your Bible in verse 10. He says this, he, but he disciplines us, that he there is God, the father disciplines us for our good, that we may share his what? If you read it, interactive church, holiness, thank you for that person that said it. This is the key. The discipline of God is not punitive, but rather redemptive. Redemptive. He disciplines us to conform us into the image of his son, who is, I've already explained to you, the epitome of holiness. J.C. Ryle, a 19th century bishop of Liverpool, he writes this in his book called Holiness. I encourage you to read his book on holiness. Uh, My mentor, that's one of his top five favorite books. And this is what he rightly states. We must be holy... Because this one grand end and purpose for which Christ came into the world. Jesus is a complete savior. He does not merely take away the guilt of a believer's sin. He does more. He breaks its power. That's the key to discipline. When God is disciplining us as his children, what he is ultimately doing is conforming us into the image of Jesus by breaking the power of sin in our lives. And when you begin to live the holy life that God has created and called you for, you find freedom. You see, most people, when they look at God's laws, they think it's like this whole fence that keeps you fenced in. Like, God just doesn't want me to do what I want to do. That's exactly right. Because he finds out if you do things his way, you have more freedom in life than when you do things the sinful way. And God wants to make you like Jesus. He wants you to grow into the holiness that Jesus has already given to you by his grace. And so God is in the business of breaking the power of sin in our lives through his word, through the beauty of the gospel, through the power of the spirit and through his people, through his church. Kevin DeYoung in his book, The Hole in Our Holiness, said this. He said, God saved you so that you might be holy. Now, that's not the only reason he saved you. There are many reasons that God saved you. But this is something that I think we have forgotten about in our American church context. One of my favorite books is called Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas. Gary Thomas wrote a book called Sacred Marriage. And uh, I love this book. It's a great book. And, and one of the arguments that he makes in this book is he says uh, that what if God designed marriage to make you holy rather than happy? Now, stop. Don't look over at your spouse and say, yep, God gave you me, gave me you for my own sanctification. And boy, is he really growing my holiness, honey. Don't do that. We want to have a great rest of our Mother's Day. But the point is that God wants to use the difficulties. When I, when I premarital counsel people, I would tell them marriage is work. And God wants to use the marriage and the work that you put into marriage to grow your holiness. Now, now here's my one critique, because I think what we think about when we think about holiness is, is we always think about it in the negative. 
Like, don't do this, don't do that. But instead, I want you to start thinking about holiness in the positive. I actually have my greatest critique of Gary Thomas's book is this. I, I agree that marriage is designed to make you holy rather than happy. But here's my critique. I would argue back to Gary in a positive and I'd say, but the more holy you and your spouse become, the more happy you will be. There's the affirms. What would it be like if you were married to somebody who resembled very closely Jesus? You talk about sacrificing for you, speaking kindness to you, but also being truthful and gracious, serving. Would your marriage be happy? So the idea is that holiness is not something to keep us punitive. Holiness is designed to make something out of us in a redemptive fashion. It's designed to recreate us into the image of Jesus Christ based off of our faith. God wants to grow your holiness today. So, how does he do this? Through this idea of discipline. But then we see how the church comes alongside us. To grow us in holiness. So I'm going to call it the therefore of holiness. If you're taking notes, I'm going to show you the therefore of holiness. So verse 12 begins with this word, therefore. So if you find yourself today going through pain, suffering, or even persecution like the people in this text. The good news is that if you're thinking about walking away from the faith. You're not the only one that has ever thought that way before. The whole point of Hebrews is that these people are thinking about leaving Jesus. Because it's getting really, really hard. Instead of thinking about these situations that they're going through as circumstances and ways in which God is using them to make you more like Christ. But here's what I want to say to you today. If you're not a believer, sometimes God will use pain. Sometimes God might use suffering as a means to draw you to himself. As a means to show you that you are broken and you are in need. You have a hole in your holiness that only Jesus can fill. So... These people, they're being persecuted for their faith. Life is difficult. They're having their things taken away. They're being thrown in prison. They're being slandered publicly in their community. And they are thinking about quitting the race. But God is disciplining them in this moment to say, don't quit. Persevere. Verse 11, peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That he he is trying to bring fruit into your life, even in the midst of the difficult circumstances that you're walking in, even right now. He wants to make you more like Jesus. So he is disciplining them to help them run the race with endurance before them. Hebrews 12, 1. So therefore, how do we understand this? So since God loves us enough to discipline us towards his holiness. Therefore, he says, here's the beauty of what I'm going to do for you. Here's the beauty of the therefore of your holiness. In verses 12 through 13, we see this. God disciplines you out of his love. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. In other words, run the race. I'm going to give you, encourage you, and empower you to continue to run even in the difficulties of your life. Number two, therefore, that God's going to disciplinely loving you towards holiness. Therefore, so you will strive for peace with everyone. Found in verse 14. Therefore, he is going to give you a pure heart so that you will see God. The end of verse 14. Therefore, he will help you flee from bitterness. 
Therefore, he's going to help you flee from your sinful appetites. Therefore, he's going to help you flee from the temptation to turn from Jesus and embrace the things of the world. I see that all in this text. The reality is that for many of us, we are like the people in this text. When life gets hard, we want to run away from Jesus. We think to ourselves, is my Christian faith really worth it? And God wants to tell you this morning, yes, it is because Jesus will change your life. Persevere. Fight. Run your race till the end. When I was a student pastor, I tested my students one Sunday morning. Had about 30 of them. And I told them that next Sunday we we're going to practice what we call secret church. We're going to go, I'm going to pretend, we want to pretend that we are in a hostile environment that is anti, that is completely against Christianity where they will imprison you or murder you for your faith. And so in my little youth room, I set up two little lamps, single light bulb lamps and made it dark and super creepy. And these kids were freaking out when they came in. I turned off the AC. I moved out all the comforts of chairs. I made them sit on the hard ground. And I walked in and I said, guys, we have a special privilege today. I was able to procure from one of our brothers down the road a clipping of a book in the Bible, Ephesians. I had taken Ephesians and I had taken a paper of it and I had folded it up. And I was like, look, we got it right here. Let's study and meditate on this text this morning. About 10 minutes in, the doors closed, they hear... They're like, their eyes got like this. In walks my friend Ashley. So Ashley, he's a, he was a, a, a bachelor at the time, super cool guy, but he loved to play aerosoft. And so he had all of his aerosoft garb on with an aerosoft rifle and he comes running in. He's like, Jeremy Bell, you were being imprisoned for preaching the gospel. He grabs me by the shoulders and rips me out of the room and he says, y'all better stop it or I'm coming after you next and slams the door. You know what I did? I left them in there. Like 20 minutes. See what they would do. See what they would do. Did somebody just say they probably need counseling? Yeah, probably. Some therapy lessons. After the exercise was over, I walked in and I brought them all together and I said, let me ask you a question. If you're a Christian in the room, if that was your reality, would you still follow Jesus? I said, how many of you would say, I don't want that Christian faith anymore? And I'm not kidding you. I was heartbroken. Like 70% of the room raised their hand and be like, I don't think I could do it. And I think what they're saying in that example is the same thing that you and I wrestle with even today. And today I want to call you to pursue holiness. I want to call you to persevere in the Christian faith. Just like the author of Hebrews is doing here. I'm asking you to submit yourself to the authority of Scripture. And say, God, whatever you are doing in my life right now, I may not understand it, but I know that it's for my benefit to make me more like your son. Help me to continue to run the race that you have laid before me. I want to show you two aspects in the positive and then two warnings from the author of Hebrews today. Number one, 
We need each other. If you're taking notes, that's the first thing. We, the church, we need each other. I'm going to talk about this in the communal aspect. The communal aspect. Verse 12, he says, therefore, lift your drooping hands. That your there is actually in the plural. It means y'all in Texan. Y'all, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. In other words, he's saying, church, encourage one another to persevere in the faith, even in your difficult circumstances. That's the first thing that you and I need to take away. Brothers and sisters here at Center Church, let this be a place of encouragement. I want to encourage you when I see that you are you are weak or when I see that your hands are drooping. I want to come and say, be encouraged, brother or sister, strengthen your weakness. Find the strength in Jesus to continue to persevere. Number two, we want to encourage each other to stay on the straight path. Encourage each other to continue to live out the Christian life. I want to encourage you. Keep fighting that good fight of faith. Keep living for Jesus in a hostile world. Keep living for, living for Jesus. Even when you're battling those internal temptations and sins. You keep fighting the fight. And you stay on that path, brother and sister. But I also want to see us restore one another in encouragement. We're really bad at restoration in, in our American church culture, by the way. We don't do very good at mending and restoring together. But look what he says next. So what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. This is an orthopedic analogy. And I love orthopedics. So when a bone is out of place, you have the doctor sets it so that it heals properly. And the same thing is designed for God's church. When someone is thinking about running from the faith because life is hard or when they're feeling pain and suffering, that we need to be people that come alongside them, restore them, correct them lovingly so that they will continue to fight the good fight of faith. That they would be healed and continue to live out the gospel that they have put their hope in. Brothers and sisters, we need to be a place that is encouraging to one another. This week at our men's MC, we talked about the idea of being brothers who encourage one another. That we want to encourage each other towards the end. I want to encourage them to to live their lives fully surrendered and obedient to Jesus, no matter how hard it may seem. Because the idea here, brothers and sisters, is that we have your best interest and I pray that you have my best interest in mind. And this is the best interest that we have in mind for each other. The encouragement. This is the reason that we help each other lift our drooping hands, strengthen our weak knees, make straight the paths of our feet, put things back together that have been broken and heal them. We do this because in the end, in the end, I want to be joyfully standing beside you when you get to heaven with me before Jesus. And I want to joyfully celebrate with you when Jesus turns to you and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You didn't just run the race well at the beginning. You ran that race well till the end. And I pray that is what you hope for me too. And that comes when we encourage one another in our faith. We encourage one another towards holiness. We encourage and strengthen one another when we struggle and when we fall down and when we fail and we're in pain and we're suffering and we're persecuted and we're broken. We come and say, encourage me to continue to fight. And we need to know here at Center Church that we are like, yes, I will encourage you. 
Number two, not only are we a community that encourages, number two, we are a community that exhorts. This idea of exhorts is kind of problematic to us as a, as a church culture. This idea of exhortation means I'm going to come to you and I'm going to help you to continue to grow into the image of Jesus. You are going to come to me and continue to help me grow into the image of Jesus. We should be a community that drives each other to become more holy in this life. To drive one another to become more like the Savior that we believe in. Look what he says in verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone. And strive, that strive there in the beginning of verse 14, also plays into the end of the end of 4. So strive for peace with everyone. And strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. We have to exhort one another towards holiness. In other words, you and I need accountability from our churches. And it's so easy today in today's culture, brothers and sisters, that when someone wants to hold you accountable, you just take your ball and you go to another church. I plead with you, don't make that the case here. Understand that when we are lovingly and graciously exhorting one another, we are doing so because we want you to become more like Jesus. I love what he says here. He says, for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. It reminds me of what Jesus talks about in the Beatitudes. In Matthew chapter 5 verse 8. Jesus tells in the Beatitudes. He says blessed are those who are pure in heart. For they will see God. Oh I long for that day don't you? I long for that day when I can see the Lord face to face. When I can be like Moses and talk to God. Like, like I talk to a friend. I long for that day to see God. And so the, the, uh, Jesus says the beatitude, blessed the pure in heart because you, you will. You can give up everything in this world and guess what? You will see God. And it's going to bring you more joy than anything that you could ever experience on this earth. But see, here's what sin wants to do. Here's how sin wants to take away your holiness. That, that power of sin wants to break your holiness is that it makes you believe in something other than God himself. It makes you believe that something other than God can provide you the full satisfaction that you want in this life. Sin takes things that are good and turns them into things that could be your God. And I'm talking little g, idol God. But how many of us together encourage one another and exhort one another to maintain a life of holiness? Don't give in to your sin. Don't give in to your temptation. I love the way Kevin DeYoung talks about this uh, in his book, The Hole in Our Holiness. He tells about this story about how, how he wants to be a pure heart so that he can see God, knowing that there's pressures all around him that want, to, that want him to take his eyes off of Jesus. He talks about this story in his life where he was in a neighborhood. In order to get out of the neighborhood, he had to drive by a certain, amount, certain couple of houses to get to work. And every summer, there would be a, a young lady out there in an immodest bathing suit cleaning her car. And so what Kevin DeYoung would do, he would, he would say, I, I'm pursuing holiness, Lord. And he would drive down the road looking straight ahead like a horse with those blinders on. You know what I'm talking about? To prevent him from looking at somewhere and getting spooked. And he would drive straight ahead and all he would quote out loud is Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in spirit. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. And all he thought about was, I am living a life of holiness because my end goal is to see you, God, not get a three second lustful look and take my eye off of you. 
You see, our end goal as believers is to seek God, is to seek holiness, to encourage one another to live a life that truly glorifies God. Because in the end, our greatest reward is God himself. Yeah, you might lose something out of sinfulness in here, but think of what you're gaining. Actually, I would say think of who you're gaining. See, we need to be a fellowship that exhorts one another to pursue holiness. It exhorts one another, don't go down those temptations, don't go down those roles, don't give in to those sinful desires because I want you to see God in the end. So here's my encouragement to some of you this week. Some of you this week, you need to find your own accountability partner, someone you trust and have a strong relationship with and go to them and say, I want you to be my accountability buddy. I want to submit myself to your authority and I want you to help me be pure in heart because I want to see God in the end. So, Communally, we encourage. Communally, we exhort. Two warnings and we're done. Two warnings. Number one, don't turn from God's grace. Don't turn from God's grace. Look what happens here in verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. The idea here is that when you're under discipline, when God's trying to, to purge the sinfulness within you, break the power of sin over you, make you holy, the idea is that some of us want to go, mm, that hurts too bad, let's go away. That hurts too bad, let's remove ourselves from God's grace, let's Let's recant our faith because it's easier just to live the way that I want to live instead of having to deal with the way that God wants me to deal, which means that I have to pick up my cross every day and follow Jesus. It's easier not to pick up my cross. So you have two responses to this scenario, this root of bitterness, this idea that in this bitterness, it springs up, it causes trouble, and it brings defilement to not only the church, but also to your life. So you have two responses. You either embrace it, You embrace the discipline when it comes. You embrace God's loving grace when it comes to to help you through your pain and your suffering and your persecution and your temptations. You embrace it and submit your life to him or you reject it. And you say, I don't want any of that. I'd rather go live the way of the world. I'd rather go do my own thing because it's easier than following you, Jesus. Let me tell you something. I've read the Bible through many times and I have never seen the verse that says following Jesus makes your life easy. In fact, I was praying the other day, walking around, and I was like, God, you know how hard it is to be one of your followers? I'm sure he's like, yeah. But do you know how hard it was for my son to take that cross for you? If he was willing to take that cost for you, and I was willing to make that sacrifice to purchase you, then that this is easy, what you're dealing with. Follow me. But number two... Don't give in to your sinful appetites. So don't run from God's grace. But number two, don't give in to your sinful appetites. Look what he says in verse 16. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Here's the idea. Did y'all hear those kids? I love them. Everybody ever seen The Breakfast Club? I love The Breakfast Club. If you haven't seen it, I don't know if it's worthy of watch or not. It's an old show, but I love it. But there's this scene with Bender. So Bender is like the bad boy of the school. And Bender's in the library, 
And the principal's like, don't mess with the bull. You remember that? Don't mess with the bull, right? And so Bender, he's, he's sitting there. He already is being disciplined. And so he's mad. He's angry that he's being disciplined, rightly so, for whatever he did wrong. And so the principal is like, he's like, you know what? Uh, you deserve to be here. And, and Bender looks at him and says, eat my shorts. Flat authority. We don't do that here at Center Church, all right? That's bad. He says, eat my shorts. And he's like, okay, you just bought yourself one more. Do you want another one? He's like, yes. He's like, fine, you got another one. I'm going to have you for your natural born life. Do you want another one? He's like, are, he's like, are you done? He's like, not even close, bud. He's like, there's another one right there. And the girl who's in the, in the, the, in the tension with him looks at him. It's like, stop it already. Stop it. He's like, do you want some more? Yes, you got another one. What are we up to? Eight now? And the other guy's like, I think it's seven, sir. He's like, you be quiet. You see, I think what this is exactly what God is preventing us from being. He says, don't be bender. When God is disciplining you towards holiness, don't be a bender. Don't be somebody who's like, well, God's already disciplining me, so I might as well give in to all my internal lusts. I might as well give in to my sexual appetites. I might as well give in because I deserve it. You're already disciplining me, God. What's a little bit more? It's a, it's a root of that bitterness that he talked about in the verse prior to that. Or he's like, or, or, or sitting here going, well, God, if you're gonna, if you're gonna punish me, then I'll just, I'll just do whatever I want then. Don't be bender. The idea here is don't go down that way. When God is disciplining you, don't let the root of bitterness spring up that you go, well, I'm just going to give in to all of my appetites then. I'm going to give in to all my sinful desires because number one, it's hard. Number two, I think I deserve it. Or number three, if you're already going to discipline me, well, just stack it on, buddy. That is not what God wants for you. God wants you to embrace him, lean into him, even during those times of pursuing holiness. Lastly, he, he says, don't, don't go after the world either. When life gets hard, as a Christian, don't go after the world. This is what Esau did. Esau sold his birthright for a single meal. Esau comes in, he's starving. Jacob's sitting there with a pot of stew, and he says, hey, I'll give you my birthright. I'll give you my inheritance, what's coming to me from our father, if you would just give me this one pot of stew. And so Jacob's like, deal. Here's a pot of stew. Give me your inheritance. The idea here that Esau is being a model and an example for us is, is that when we're under discipline, when God is making us holy, that we don't run from him and go, well, I'm just going to go cling to the things of the world then. I'm going to rather, I'm going to turn against the inheritance that God has given me as his child, and I'm just going to run and I'm going to embrace everything that's in the world because it seems to be better than being God's child. The answer is no. The author of Hebrew warns us under his authority, don't, don't give in to those internal appetites. Don't give in to those external appeals of worldliness around you. Instead, he is encouraging you and me, pursue holiness, encourage, exhort, finish the race, embrace God even in discipline because he's trying to make you like Jesus. And the more that you become like Jesus, the more freer your life will become. Pursue Jesus in the midst of your discipline. He loves you enough to make you more like Jesus. So listen, if you're here today and you're hurting and you're in pain and you're suffering and you feel like you're being disciplined by God, I want you to know that we strive here at Center Church by our value to cultivate biblical community to be a place of peace and holiness. 
That Center Church wants to be a place where, of community where you can come, we want to come alongside you and help you when you're down. Encourages you to run the race that has been laid before you. And understand that we have your best interest in mind. We want you to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Perhaps this morning, this is the first time that you've ever heard the gospel message. You realize, as I've been talking, that you have a hole in your own holiness. That God in His grace has confronted you with His holiness in Jesus that we see embodied in Christ. And you're like, I'm failing. I've fallen short. What must I do? The answer this morning is I want you today to turn from your sinfulness. Turn from those things that brought that hole into your heart. And lean in and trust Jesus. He'll fill the hole. He will forgive you. And He will change your life. You can begin today to live in that freedom. And if that's you this morning, then after this service, before you go do your things for Mother's Day, I want you to come talk to me and say, Jeremy, I want to get on your schedule because I want to find out how I can follow this Jesus more faithfully. But lastly, church, here's my application to you. Will you commit to being a church that encourages and exhorts one another? That you would encourage others and you would receive the encouraging from others? That you would exhort lovingly and graciously others and that you would receive gracious and loving exhortation from others. Can we be a church here at Center Church Brenham that encourages and exhorts in such a way that we want to see every single partner run their race and finish it well? Will you commit to that today, Center Church partners? If you are saying yes to that, let's show that visibly. I know this is going to get kind of awkward for some of our partners. Show it visibly. If you are willing to say today, I want to encourage and exhort, and I want to be encouraged and exhorted so that I will finish the race that God has set before me, stand up. Stand up right now. Yes! Let's pray. Father, our hearts are open. We want to be a place that is encouraging That exhorts. We want to be a place where holiness is on our lips and in our minds and in our hearts. Being conformed in our souls. Lord, we want to be a community that sees everyone finish the race that you have set before them. That we would joyfully stand next to each other in heaven and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And we'll turn and we'll say, thank you. Thank you for encouraging me in those difficult times. Thank you for encouraging me in that time of, of discipline. Thank you for exhorting me when I, when I was running from the Lord. We want to be a place where it's not okay. I mean, it is okay to not be okay. But we don't want to be a place where they stay there for a very long time. That we want them to grow in holiness. To find the freedom that Jesus has provided for them. And the salvation that we have trusted in his work. So Father. Make us a people. After your own heart. A community. That wants to see everybody finish well. I pray in Jesus name. And all God's people said. Amen. Let's all stand together. If you're still sitting. Let's stand. And let's sing. Our last song.